And good morning again. Good to be sharing God's Word with you again. And if you have your, uh, your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter... I'm following through on that promise that I made. I'm going to do a whole lot, of, lot more of Old Testament uh, this, uh, this year. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18. And we'll read to verse 21 this morning. Read with me. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe in his prophets, so shall ye prosper. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the blessings of your word. We thank you for the wondrous ways in which it's been recorded for our benefit. Father, we pray this morning that we would indeed have our hearts and our minds open to the truth that comes from heaven. We pray this morning also that you would use me, Father, to deliver the message that you have for this congregation, that you would hide me behind your cross, that people would understand your truths and that you would use me, Father, to deliver those truths. Father, we are here only because of you. We are here because you have saved us and you've called us to be your children. And Father, we want to learn more of you. And we want to please you more in our lives to become more like our Saviour. So this morning we commit this time to you. May every distraction and every thought which is not focused on you be put aside right now. That our hearts will be completely yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. On Wednesday evening, we indeed, it was a praise. We had a a good number of people there and uh, more than usual. And we were looking at a particular psalm, Psalm 81. And that psalm commenced with these words. It says, To the chief musician upon Giddeth, a psalm of Asaph, Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow upon the trumpet in the new moon, in the new moon, in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. And we had a bit of a look at those different instruments as well. And we spoke about what they were like and how they were used and um, <clears throat> but the, the, the purpose of the beginning of this psalm was a call to praise God. And the rest of the psalm was then talking about, about the Lord and how wonderful he was and, and how he was working in, uh, in their lives. But it's a common pattern in Scripture that we find. The common pattern in Scripture is that whenever people come before the Lord, you come before him first with praise, thanksgiving. You glorify him first. In other words, you lift him up before you come to him with your petitions. 
So the beginning of this psalm and the beginning of many psalms is a call to lift up God. Praising and worshipping God. Finding your joy in Him before you come to Him with all your problems. You'll find the common theme in the Bible is a call to us to shift our centre of focus away from ourselves. To shift it always away from ourselves. You see, we can become so um, caught up with our own lives and, and with our own weaknesses and with our own problems that we just get, we feel as if we've been bogged down and tied up and we can't get away from it. But the Bible is a continual calling to us not to focus on ourselves. It's a continual call to shift the centre of our, of our whole being away from ourselves and to realise at the centre of our joy, the centre of our focus, the centre of our very existence is not us, but it's with God himself. And therefore, we can praise and we can worship the, the only being in existence who is both worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. He is the only being who can completely fill our hearts when they, when they seem to be empty. He is the only being in existence who can give us true joy, peace and victory over the enemy. One of the distinguishing features of Christians, both from the earliest days till now, of genuine Christians, is their ability to find joy in the midst of the, the most severe persecution and, and, uh, and suffering. Now, why is that? Why were the early Christians able to, while they were being tied up to a post, covered with pitch or tar, and then set alight, why could those people be singing? Why could people who were thrown into the Colosseum, surrounded by wild animals, with cheering crowds around them, waiting to be waiting for this, this, uh, this meal to take place. Why could these people sing while they were being torn apart by lions? Think about that. Think about if you're in a position where they, they dragged us to the MCG and the, the favourite sport of, of this city was to watch Christians being torn up by animals and to be slaughtered and to be set alight like as torches along the paths to light up the streets at night. What would you feel like? Would you feel like praising God? Would you feel like singing? What joy would you have in your life? Yet, this is the distinguishing feature which turned the empire of Rome upside down. And the more they killed, the more they slaughtered, the more they persecuted, the more these people were coming out of the woodwork. The more, the more people were becoming Christians. What, is our, what do our lives compare like to those? Today's story, and we're going to look at, once again, another story from the Old Testament, which is about a battle, which is about another war. It reveals the simplicity of living a victorious Christian life in a world filled with uncertainty and fear. That in the midst, and this is the main message of this story today, that in the midst of any circumstances, no matter how bad it looks to you, okay, because they're in a pretty bad situation here, doesn't matter how bad your circumstances, that turning your focus on the Lord, rejoicing in Him, 
praising him for his holiness, his beauty, his love, his care, his grace. And having our lives focused on lifting him up. You know what it does? It frustrates the enemy. The enemy can't work. The devil cannot work to distract and confuse and tempt and frighten and to discourage and put doubt when you are in the midst of lifting up God in your life. Do you understand that? Have you ever been in a situation, and I hope it's often for you, that when you begin to pray that you're praising God so much that you're lifted up in his presence? The Bible says that if we lift up God and humble ourselves, that he lifts us up. Some of those beautiful times of prayer that I've had is not when I'm just I'm pouring out all my petitions to him, but it's when I'm just there and I'm saying how wonderful you are. When I'm thanking him for what he's done. When I remind myself and I remind him of how precious he actually is compared to everything else around. There's nothing that compares to him. When I'm lifting him up in that way, sometimes I just can't get out of it. And it's the most beautiful place to be. You know why? Because when our hearts and our minds are focused in heaven and on him, you know something? Everything else doesn't really matter. You could be locked in a dungeon. You could be locked in a prison. You could have no friends in this world. You may have the worst possible situation happening around you. you But when you're in God's presence and you're lifting him up, the devil can't work. He can't play his tricks on you. So today I want to encourage you to do that. And I'm hoping that by the end of the sermon, you're going to go away and you're going to think, I need to praise God more in my life. And here we have a story of King Jehoshaphat. Remember I said to you there weren't many good kings, not in Israel or Judah. He wasn't a bad one. Didn't do everything right, but he wasn't bad. He was a goodly king, but he faced the same type of problem that Hezekiah had before him when Hezekiah was surrounded, when Jerusalem was surrounded by the armies of the Assyrians. And he goes, Lord, what are we going to do here? We can't get out of this place. We can't fight our way out of this battle. And God saved him miraculously. Jehoshaphat faces the same problem. Turn back to verse 1 in chapter 20. And let's read the background to this. So this king is the king of Judah. Okay, You remember there were two, there were two tribes Israel had split. He was the king of Judah. And it says in verse 1, It, it came to pass also, this, uh, this also, that the children of Moab... And the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now, that doesn't mean that he was sending his children out to do the fighting. These were the descendants. When the Bible says the children of, it means the descendants of the, the Moabites, the Ammonites. And it says other beside the Ammonites had come against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then verse 2, there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, Syria. And behold, there be, this is an interesting word, Hazazontama, which is an Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So much like Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat finds himself in a situation where he has multiple armies against him. What had happened was the Moabites, the Ammonites and some other groups had joined together and they said, we're going to wipe out these guys. We're going to wipe out Judah. So some 
people who had seen them, okay, that was fellow further away, they had noticed this massive army which had come together to destroy uh, Judah, went back and told Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat, oh, what are we going to do now? So the first thing he does is the same thing that Hezekiah did, it was go straight to the Lord and say, Lord, we're in a predicament here. We can't defend ourselves. There is no way out of this situation. So he immediately seeks the Lord and encourages everyone else to do the same. Verse 5 says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And willest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And gave us it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever. And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil come upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Then that was what Jehoshaphat's doing over here. The first thing he does when he comes to God, he's saying, aren't you that God that we know that's our God? Aren't you that God that saved us out of Israel, that gave us this land, that made these promises to, uh, to Abraham? Aren't you the God of all of heaven who rules over the entire world and there is no one that can stop you? What's he doing? He's lifting up God and he's saying, this is who you are. We know you. We know what you're capable of. We've seen this before. So he's reminding God of how wonderful he actually is. So what's he doing? He's praising God. He's lifting God up. It's called worship. But by the same token, when he speaks those words, he's reminding also the congregation of Israel. He's reminding all the people that are with him, this is the God that we serve. This is a God who is actually the God of the entire world. There is none who can withstand him. And this God who made us promises, certain promises, is the God who keeps his promises and no one can stop him from that. So he's encouraging the people as well behind him to actually believe God more. So he makes his prayer a song of praise and remembrance. He lifts up God in front of his own people. He reminds God of who he is and the promise that he's made to them. That he promised to Abraham they would have this land forever. And God, he says, we've built this home for you. Your name is in this place. And you promise that if we come before you, when we have trouble, that you're going to come and defend us. And then he makes a specific request in verse 10. He says, and now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade. When they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. This is beautiful, his words. But our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Isn't that beautiful? I find that absolutely amazing when you have a whole city or a whole 
country that has come before God. And the Bible says that with their, with their little ones, with their children, they're all there before God. And they're saying, God, we have no hope outside of you. We can't defend ourselves. But look at us. We're here. You made us a promise. You call us your, your children. You've called us by your own name. And we're here coming to you with this request. Look, these people who we didn't destroy who you told us to turn away from, not to utterly destroy them. Now they've come together and they want to destroy us. God, can't you judge in this matter? Can you please judge on our behalf? So Jehoshaphat, once again, reminds God of who they are and how he is the righteous judge of this universe and this world. That they had no strength to defend themselves, but... And the most beautiful words in this thing are, our eyes are set upon thee. That's the only thing we can do, is we can look to you. That's the only hope that we have. You ever been in a position where that's the only thing you could do in your life? The only thing you had, the only hope you had was to actually go to God and say, God, I can't do anything here. I am helpless and hopeless without you. So I need you to do something. You know, sometimes we look at that and we say, that's a bad situation to be in. No, it's not. It's actually a good situation to be in. Because the day you understand that God is your hope, that's the day you become stronger as a person. That's the day when you're actually freed from actually trying to save yourself or look to the circumstances around you to save you. It's a day when God releases you from hopelessness because there is incredible hope in him so don't despair if you're in a position where you don't understand what's going on and you feel as if you can't do anything the best thing for you to do the first thing for you to do is to set your eyes on him and hope in him because there is incredible hope and power in him remind yourself about who he is, what he's done for you already. Remind him and say, God, didn't you send your only son to this world to die for me? Didn't you allow him to shed his blood on that cross to cleanse me of all of my sin? And didn't you raise him up on the third day? Didn't you defeat the devil? Say, Lord, come and defend me now. You can pray that. You can also claim all the promises in the Bible that God has made because he keeps every last one of them. We're going to look at a couple of them later on. So then let's, let's, let's continue in verse 14. So God answers. And you know how God answers before we read this? He answers through his word. And I want you to understand that. So in, in this particular point, they didn't have the Bible like we've got it. They had the, old, they had the, um, the writings of Moses. But you know something? This, what's recorded here, became the word of God. You understand? Which we read now and get encouraged through. What God was doing at that particular time, he was delivering the word of God. Okay, So he was, he was telling them, this is the word I'm sending you. Look at verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said... Hearken ye, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and our king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, 
Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go you down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. And you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Don't you love those words? Isn't that a fantastic answer to prayer? No? God had delivered his word. The Holy Spirit came upon a particular person in that congregation, and God had delivered his message to them. This is what I'm going to do for you. You don't need to fight in this battle. Just set yourselves Stand still and watch the salvation that God's going to deliver for you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow, I'm going to go out and fight for you because I'm going to be with you. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, we've often, we looked recently about putting on the armor of God and how we are to do that because we are in the midst of a battle but the beautiful thing is that the Bible tells us to, to do, having done all, to stand. To stand. Because God fights the fight for us. He's the one who defends us. He's the one who goes out in front. He doesn't come from behind. He goes, he starts and leads from the front. And when God is in the, in the lead, you have nothing to fear. And this particular time, God was saying to them, just stand still and watch what I can do for you. Watch what I will do for you. Stand still and see God fight your battle. Now, sometimes we tend to run around like headless chooks trying to do everything we can to fix up our own lives and fix up the problems that we have. We don't let God do the work. We don't trust him. Because we don't trust him, we try to, we try to jump in and jump in ahead of him. We end up getting ourselves in more mess than what we had before. That God answers through his word. So how do the people of Judah respond to God's promise? So God says, this is the word I have for you. So it's, imagine it's like the word of God that you read. What do they do with that word? What do they do? Let's have a look. Verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed Singers unto the Lord, as that, and they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. As that, so what he does, he believes God so much, right? They are so happy and so and so content with the word that God has given them, so they they praise God and they worship God, they lift him up again, right. 
They lift him up in song. They lift him up in prayer. They declare the virtues of God and the wonders of God amongst the people. And so Jehoshaphat says, all right, the next day, he has told us to go out with our army. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put all the singers in front. I'm going to get all the singers that we have. All right, singers. Um, and Don might say, you know, all the choir, the, the, go to the choir practice uh, tonight because tomorrow morning we're going to sing some songs, right? So, Army, you go over here and I want all our singers to be in the front, the front line because the soldiers aren't going to have much to do, are they? Does that show that he actually believed what God said? Well, if you're a singer, you had to have faith, didn't you? So there's an incredible amount of faith that's going on. Hey, if you're a singer, you're just singing there, some blowing trumpets, some, some doing other things, and just singing, you're there in the front approaching an army, um, you're going to have to have some pretty strong faith. Jehoshaphat had that faith, and the people had that faith. And they sang a song which once again did what? It praised God, it lifted him up. And it said, praise the Lord. See that word Lord? You know what that means, don't you? That's his name. So they're announcing his name in front. As they're approaching the other army, they're calling out, Jehovah is worthy of all of our praise. His mercy endures forever. And they just keep repeating this over and over and over again. Would have been a sight to see, I think. This demonstrated an amazing confidence in what God had promised to make all the, all the singers go in the front of an army. Let me ask you a question. When you read God's word, and you're not sure about it, but you read God's word and he has answers in his word, do you do the same thing? Do we react the same way? You know, when God gives you the answer in his word and he says, don't, don't fear, I'm going to go before you in this thing. I'm going to lead in this thing. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to fight the battle for you. How do we respond? Do we worship God? And then do our actions actually show that we really believe what he says? Or do we put the singers behind? Do we, does the praise come second and then our fighting comes first? Only we know that. Only you know the way you respond to God's word. But my encouragement to you this morning is God's word is always true. When he says something in there, we ha there is every reason to believe it. And when you believe it, you can't help but worship him to fall down on your face and to have amazing confidence and praise for him. Let's look at the result. Verse 22, it says, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. That means killed. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. They started fighting against themselves, utterly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked Unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. 
And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in, in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they had stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were there three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. And the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Bar- Barakah. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the same place was called the valley of Berakah unto this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Isn't that an amazing end to this story? God delivered on his promise. The results are exactly what God said he would do. The armies of the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the people of Mount Seir were utterly destroyed. They ended up killing each other. Maybe something happened. Maybe they got into a dispute. But we do know that the Ammonites and the Moabites got upset with the people of Mount Seir, wiped them out first. And then they started to battle amongst themselves and, and they finished themselves off. And when they came to, when Israel came to the watchtower, because they built up a, a tower in the middle of the wilderness so you could see further ahead, when they sent their scouts there, they looked, they think, what's going on over here? There's no movement over there. They were all already finished. So Judah arrived to collect the spoils. They came to collect, you know, the, the leftover weapons, the jewels, the gold and everything else they had. They found, collected for three days. There was so much stuff over there. Judah became a whole lot richer because their enemies had decided to attack and destroy them. What do they do? What's the next thing they do? They praise God again. They praise him. They start singing again. And they sing all the way back to... Um, to uh, Judah and Jerusalem, rejoicing in God with, with musical instruments, with song. And the, the, the amazing thing of this whole thing is that God was glorified through it as well. Because they declared the name of God and he came through for Israel, you know what happened? All the surrounding countries knew about what had found out about what had happened and they, they began to fear God, the real God. And Jehoshaphat, had peace and quiet for the rest of his days. What's the main point of the story? What's the main point that I want you to understand is that regardless of your past, regardless of your past, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. It doesn't matter what's happened to you in the past. That is something that God can take from you. You can trust him with that, regardless of your circumstances. It doesn't matter how hopeless your circumstance looks right now. When you truly believe God, when you trust in his word, and you make God the focus of your joy, your praise, and your worship, then like Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, you can have victory, joy, and eventually peace that comes from it. All these things God does to bring himself glory which is the very call of our existence, the very reason that you and I were made, the very reason that we were saved, the very reason that you sit here today, is not because it benefits you, it's because it glorifies God. 
We were created to glorify God. When you praise him and worship him, and when we testify about what is done in our own lives, when we share the gospel, when we do good to others, when we love him and love those around us, when we obey the word of God, you know what happens? God is glorified. And the people around hear what's going on. And they begin to believe in the God that we serve. God is glorified. And you know, I'll tell you something now. There are, many, there are many things that people treasure in this world. I don't know what you treasure. I don't know what your most valuable asset is or where you spend most of your time or what you spend most of your focus on in your life. But I'll tell you something. If there's something more important in your life than God, then you've got it wrong. Completely wrong. You've got the thing turned upside down. Jesus says if, if a man doesn't hate his father and mother and children and families and every, indeed everyone else compared to the love that you have for him, he goes, you're not worthy of him. The love that we are to have for God should be so strong. The, the focus of our attention, our joy and our praise should be so strong with him. That everything else only comes second. Yes, wives, you come second. Yes, husbands, you are to come second. Even the children are to come second. Your families are to come second. Everything else is meant to come second, third, fourth, last compared to him. If your life does not revolve around him today, instead, if your life is more focused on revolving around everything else that's around you, you have it wrong. And if you have it wrong, you cannot have victory and peace and joy. You will not have it. And I'll guarantee if you're a Christian and you've been genuinely saved today, if your focus isn't on God, you're miserable. You can't be happy. I know it because I was there. So if you come to me and your life is focused on all of your focus and everything else, and you come to church on a Sunday, and you might do a little bit here and a little bit there for God, and you've sort of got a nice, you've got him in a nice little comp- neat compartment on the side. And you come to me and say, oh, I'm happy as a Christian. Don't lie, please. Don't put on a facade for me. Because you, you don't have to impress me. At the end of the day, I'm not going to be there standing next to you when you stand before his throne. I'm not going to be there, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be there as a witness to say, oh, but they were really a good person. They were okay. They seemed so happy, Lord. I can testify that they were at church every Sunday on the dot. That won't matter. You won't have anyone else around you because you'll have to give an account for yourself. So be truthful to yourself. Be truthful to God. If you haven't got him first, make him first. Put him first in everything. And you'll begin to see the joy that comes from knowing him. It's a very simple formula. You put God first because we were created to bring him glory. You were created for that. When we treasure him so much that we praise him and worship him and find all of our joy in him, he receives the glory. He gets what he deserves. He gets what's, what's rightfully his, and we get the blessing of joy that comes from that. That's why the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all for the glory of God. Don't do it for yourself. Do all for God's glory. Everything, even eating and drinking, can give God glory. 
This is the first and most important principle in our lives, that our lives as Christians should be absolutely God-centred, Christ-centred. The focus should be on him. Everything else should be really nothing compared to him. Our obsession. You ever seen someone who's obsessed with something? If you ever been obsessed with something, so that your attention is always drawn back to that thing, you can't stop thinking about it. Well, I'll tell you something. God calls us to be obsessed with Him. And you might say, well, "Why would I have to be so obsessed with God? Because He deserves it. If there's any anything or anyone worth obsessing about, it's God." We should glorify him in everything we do, every word we say. And I'll tell you why. Because everything else that we focus on and we worship in this life, and you know whether you're worshipping something or not, okay? You know whether you're putting that thing before God or not. Um, You might try and suppress it in your own life, but you know. Does not compare to God. So when when you focus on other things in your life, you rob God of his glory. When we sin... When we choose to disobey God and we sin, we rob him of his glory. We become thieves. And when we choose to focus on things other than him and put them first, we become thieves. We rob him of the rightful glory that he deserves. People are inclined to worship everything under the sun, including the sun. The history of mankind, if you look at it, is that they all worship, they all found other things to focus on. And the devil wants you to focus on everything else except for God. Because he knows when you focus your life on God, when you truly worship him through your life, he struggles to get, to get through. He can't have a foothold when you're focused, when your heart and your mind are in heaven. There are plenty of reasons why we should give God the glory and put him first in our lives. I'll just give you a small list. God is worthy of our praise and our worship because, one, he is the only true God. He is the living God. And unlike many other old gods, you know, all those old Roman and Greek and Egyptian and however many you want to name, they're all dead. There's nothing left of them. No one even remembers them anymore. Or maybe in a history book you'll read about them. But this God that we serve is a living God. His name is still magnified today. Our God is a merciful God. He is gracious in every way. He is patient and full of goodness. Our God is an utterly glorious God. He cannot be compared to anyone or anything else in creation. He made everything else. The psalm tells us the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? The answer is Zippo, Zilch, no one, nothing can compare to him. So when we focus on other things that don't even compare, in fact, if you take all of creation and everything, every angelic being, you take every, every planet and every uh, solar system and every galaxy and every black hole that's out there, put them all together and take every person on this planet that's ever lived from the beginning till now, wrap it all up into one big ball and say, who's more worthy of my attention and my praise? God still comes out miles and miles and miles and there is no comparison. So when we worship ourselves, when we put ourselves first and we say, oh, I can't, God, I can't do that because, you know something, I've got more important things to do. I've got more important things to do than come to church. I've got more more important things to do than praise you 
or to pray to you or to focus on this relationship that you've called me to. You know what we're saying? I worship me, God. I'm more important than everything else, including you. Yet that's a utter lie that comes from the depths of hell. Don't get caught up in that rubbish. Our God is an all-knowing God. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. He's the one who calls it as it is from the beginning and no one can stop his plan along the way. Our God is an utterly sovereign God. No one can stop him. But the beautiful thing is that God is an imminent God. What's the word imminent means? That he's close. And he gives life. He is a God who wants to be known by his creation. Acts chapter 17 says that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Isn't that amazing? That every person in this world, God is not far from them. He is very close. If they would simply seek him, they would find him. The problem is people don't want to seek him. Because when you seek him, you have to become accountable to him. He becomes the judge. He is sovereign and what he says has to go. Our God is an utterly perfect and holy God. He is so unique and perfect that he stands separate to everything else. Everything else needs to be measured against him. That's why we we seek to be holy. God calls us to be holy as he is holy. God is an absolutely faithful God. He keeps every promise he makes. He stays the course and is never unfaithful to those that are his. Our God is a supremely loving God. In fact, the word love is defined by his own name. These only touch on the magnificence of God. This God that we call ours. There is so much more to him and so many more reasons that we have to find rejoicing and joy, to praise him for, to worship and glorify him in our lives. This is what we need to cultivate more. This is what we need to focus our attention on more. The incredibly high view of God. I've shared this once with you probably a number of years ago. That your worship of God, your and my worship of God, the way we praise him, cannot exceed our view of him. We'll never exceed it. Okay, what does that mean? It means how I view God how important he is, how majestic and holy and pure and perfect and and loving and kind. My worship of him can never exceed or go beyond my real opinion of him. If I have a low opinion of him, he's not that important. Yeah, he's loving, but you know something, yeah, I've seen other people love as well. Or he's he's, he's perfect and he's he's been over something, I've got other things I have to worry about. That's okay, he's perfect, all right, I get that. When we have a lower standard of God in our minds, your and my worship can't overcome that. It's our view of him that determines how we worship him. Let me ask you a question. How did you sing this morning? You know when you sang the hymns, where was your mind? Where was it? Was it actually focused on him? Or was it somewhere else? What's your habit? You cannot worship God properly if your opinion of him is low. But if your opinion is high, then your worship of him will be high and important. You know, we, we put the, the, word, the word of God central in our, in our service, don't we? For very good reason. Okay? But when we sing those hymns, when we pray, 
when we read the word of God out loud and we do those things, they aren't second. Praising God is not secondary. Praising of God is core. When we come to, to church, we are here to worship and praise him for who he is. When we lift him up, he lifts us up. And this is the, the purpose of coming to church. When we learn of his, from his word, we want to praise him even more. We want to worship him more. We want to be more like him. That's what we're called to. So where is your heart this morning? Because Jesus says that the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you worship God in spirit and in truth? Truth we say we have, right? If anything, these independent Baptist churches um, focus on is the truth and making sure that we've got the Bible rightly divided. We don't throw, we don't throw it around like, like willy-nilly. But are we worshipping in spirit? Are we really worshipping in spirit? You can have all the truth but not worship in spirit. If there's anything the devil wants to do is to distract you from that. To put doubt in your mind about God's character. Because if he can lower God's character in your sight, you can't then worship him. But when we truly praise God and we genuinely worship him, it must be very frustrating for Satan. For he can't operate in an atmosphere of worship and praise. He can't do it. When our hearts and our minds are focused upon the Lord, the devil is stuck because when we worship him, we're lifted up before him. Psalm tells us, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth with my song will I praise him. Hebrews tells us, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. This is what our lives are meant to be. A sacrifice of praise. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore, but God wants us, God wants this. He wants our lips to declare how wonderful he is. He wants us to praise him. Is it any wonder that the Lord starts the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that he gave us, with praising God? Look, he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What's, to, what's that doing? It's praising God. It's lifting him up first. It's hallowing his name. It's saying, may your name be lifted up in this world. Rejoice in the Lord. You can find genuine joy in Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with him this morning, you can have that joy. But don't focus on yourself. Focus on God. Because when you focus on God, the devil struggles to work. Remember that God has won a victory through Jesus for you. And Jesus always goes before you. Don't let the devil rob you of your joy. and Don't let him rob God of his glory at the same time because he does one and both at the same time. Begin your day with praising God. Begin your prayer with praising God, lifting up his name. Start everything you do with that. Let your life be one of continual worship. Believe everything that God has said in his word and don't let your circumstances distract you from that. I want to close with just reading two verses of scripture. Isaiah 55, 12. And we'll close it up. 
Isaiah 55, 12. This is God's promise to you. If you focus your attention on him, if in the midst of difficult circumstances you are discouraged and you focus your heart on him and lift him up with praise, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, 12, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. You can have that joy. In other words, everything you look at, whether it's the trees, whether it's the sun, whether it's whatever, brings joy. They only reinforce the love that God has for you. And turn back to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, and I'll close with this one. Because this is God's promise to you. Okay? Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. Don't forget God's promises. Put your trust in him, believe in his word, and spend time praising him. I will guarantee you, you'll find the joy that you're looking for. God bless you. Thank you.